So uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26, uh, we are at the place um, where the nation of Israel has uh, wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, and the younger generation is about to enter into the promised land. The older generation had their experiences with God in Egypt, and as they received the law and wandered through the wilderness, and now the younger generation, who some of them have seen certain elements of that, but they were under 20 years old, and now the Lord is speaking through Moses to the entire nation so that they all have an accurate recounting of the law to begin the process of entering the promised land with. So as we hear these things, it's important to keep in mind that they haven't entered into the promised land yet. God's fulfillment of these things is still in front of them. Um, it's, it's actually kind of interesting in that uh, there's a big element of faith for them in it. They haven't seen these promises fulfilled. They haven't seen these things come to pass. And God is saying to them, when these things occur, uh, I think there's a very important lesson uh, for us as believers. Uh, God speaks to us in prayer, in fellowship, through his word. We hear certain messages, and at times it's difficult, challenging for us to even believe and to hold on to those things. And if we would trust rather what God is saying to us than what perhaps our circumstances are screaming all the more loudly or the world might be insisting around us, if we would trust God and take him at his word, uh, there's a, a, a stability and a reinsurance in that that's very beneficial to us as believers. So uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1, And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him, I declare today uh, to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give to us. So, again, uh, some of what I covered in that introduction, but the, the overarching message that God is going to fulfill his promises. And, and when he has fulfilled his promises, that I want you to follow through in honoring him for having fulfilled those promises. There's a very important message uh, for us, right? Uh, most of us in this room, there was a time in our lives where the thought that on a Sunday morning we'd be sitting in a church service, you know, years ago would have been an absurd concept that, that we would be here with other members of Christianity, worshiping the Lord, raising our hands as we sing. I saw some of you, you know, shedding a tear over the joy and the fulfillment of the songs you're singing. 
You know, there was a time where to think you would be participating in that would have been foolish. And yet here you sit today, worshiping the Lord, freed from those things which bound us and kept us and plagued us. There's a fruitfulness in the life that has been surrendered to the Lord, right? I think about, you know, before I knew the Lord and all the things that I acquired and what did I do with them? I destroyed them. I used them on my sinfulness. I used them on my flesh. I used them in destructive ways. And it left me barren. It left me without any fruitfulness. The Lord is saying to this nation, I'm going to fulfill everything that I've been saying to your people for all these generations. And when you get to experience the fulfillment of my promises, not the fulfillment of the things you've accomplished, not the fulfillment of your plans, right? Honestly, in looking at their conduct, and I think if we look at our conduct, right, people will often say, oh, wow, you're so blessed, you know, and honestly, yes, we're very blessed, but it's not because of us. It's in spite of us, right? The Lord has continued to bless and produce and fulfill and enrich our lives. And if that be the case, then the Lord is saying what you have received of fulfillment, what you've received, uh, you know, in this case of produce, I want you to bring me an offering from that. I want you to give back to me in recognition <clears throat> that all of that fruitfulness that you have in your lives is what I have done, not what you've accomplished. That, that it's a thing you, you got, really got to understand for these people, right? They were slaves in Egypt, and he's going to discuss that with them. They didn't have anything. You, you know, you really got to wrap your mind around the concept of slavery. There's no motivation to work hard as a slave, you know, other than the whip, because it doesn't produce anything for you. Hey, you know, work, be, be the best slave amongst all of them. Just grind away, you know, outshine all of your fellow slaves. And what do you get? You get the whip, right? You don't get a reward. Nobody says to you at the end of the week, hey, you know, we threw, you know, a few more bucks into your paycheck. No, you're still a slave. And they've been freed from that and sent towards this promise, which came, you know, more than 400 years earlier. The Lord had promised Abraham that this was going to take place. They especially haven't had anything to do with orchestrating the fulfillment of these things. So when you come to the place where you're able to own property, where you're able to plant in the ground, you know, this is an agricultural society that they're, they're going to become. They're not presently an agricultural society. At, at best, they're nomadic shepherds. That's what they are. At best. And really, uh, you know, what they're relying upon for uh, prosperity is the manna that falls from the sky. God's provision for them day by day. You know, it isn't like the, the, the flocks are, you know, just thronging and they're, they're incredibly wealthy as herdsmen. 
you know, they have them, they're, they're moving, they're performing sacrifices, they're being obedient to the Lord, but they get to the fulfillment of these things and they have to say 100% of what we now have is because of the Lord. I very much identify with that. You know, I don't know if we all identify with that in the same way, but there was a time in my life where there was nothing fruitful about my life. And Christ delivered me from that and brought me into a place where there's great blessing in my life. And I have to, just out of you know, a natural response, yield back to him out of gratitude for what he has done and what he's presently doing in my life. Such great blessings from the Lord. They're going to be very wealthy landowners who grow crops and have a tremendous amount of abundance. One of the things I want to point out in this, the first fruits that he asks of them is not just, we often think of it as just whatever portion is harvested first. God is literally putting qualifications on the harvest and saying, I want the best of your harvest. First fruit is like, you know, I want the A grade. Don't, don't give me, don't give me the leftovers. You know, whatever portion of your crop has grown better than every other portion of your crop, gotten the best watering, the best sunlight to produce the most fruitfulness. I want my portion to come out of that. There is a sacrifice in that, right? There is the attitude of this is the choice portion. How can I just give this away? In that is the recognition that, yes, this is the choice portion, but I wouldn't have any of this if it were not for God. I, you know, his provision has given this to me, so now I'm giving it back to him. Verse 4, it says, Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Verse 7, Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voices and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders, the ten plagues especially that had come upon the nation of Egypt. He has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, the Lord, have given me. Now, just really snap your mind to the concept that they don't have those things yet. They don't have them yet. And there are battles in front of them. And there are country, uh, nations rather, to conquer before those things are going to belong to them. 
So, so as we try to, you know, overlay this on our Christian lives, you know, you've got to understand, you've read in the scripture, right? He who the Son has set free is free indeed. You know, behold, I make all things new. You are a new creation. When we're hearing all of these great promises of the scripture, and you're sitting in your present defeated state, understand that God is looking beyond where you presently are into his fulfilled promises in our lives if we will cooperate with him keep in mind there are people in this midst who refuse to enter in who did not follow god's plan for this who never saw these things fulfilled in their lives there are there are jews that never even left egypt that stayed behind it's crazy to consider that all throughout this time, God is laying out. These people did not leave Egypt because they were such faithful worshipers of the Lord. The cry that came before them was because of the oppression. As I said, the whip that was upon their back. God, through Moses, had to tell them, leave your idols behind. Think about that. These people weren't like devout Jewish believers who every Saturday were going to synagogue in Egypt and worshiping the Lord in obedience and just waiting for the day of promise and fulfillment. They were as sinful as the nation that was enslaving them. But they cried out to God and the Lord delivered them from that. So when they come to this place of fulfillment, they have to render to God the full honor and praise. Why? Because they were not especially cooperative with his plan. Does that sound familiar? Feel familiar to you? Right? You, you heard God speaking to you and you respond and you cry out, but there's still the junk you're wrestling with. Still the things, right? If you haven't noticed your sinful flesh, yeah, ask your spouse. You know what I'm saying? We, we do wrestle. Take the other side of this as an encouragement. Be encouraged in your failures. Because if you're thinking the reason I don't have victory, I don't have prosperity, is because I'm still floundering. This nation is still floundering. And God is going to bring them into his promises. He wants to deliver them from that faltering he wants to deliver them from their doubtfulness. He wants to accomplish his perfect will in their lives, right? That, that old thing that we say, you know, <clears throat> God loves you just the way you are. Very true. But the other portion of that is, and he loves you too much to leave you that way. He'll accept you just the way you are, but he wants to deliver you from that. He wants to cleanse us and mature us and purify us in the process. There's a fulfillment that he's longing to accomplish in our lives. You know, when it refers to, you know, my father was a Syrian, we're talking about Abraham. We're, ta we're talking about the father of all Israel, right? Ur of the Chaldees. Even Abraham, you know, it's often preached inappropriately, like this was a guy who was just trying to find God. Well, according to what we're reading here, he was almost dead. You know, there was nothing about him. 
you know, you turn the pages and come to the book of Joshua, chapter 24, at verse 2, Joshua tells us that Abraham was an idolater. When God met him, introduced himself to Abraham and said, I've chosen you and I want to take you out of this place and out of this idolatrous worship and I'm going to build the nation of Israel out of you so that the world can stand by and wonder at what I've done because I've taken such a meaningless individual and such a meaningless people that resulted from him and I've created such an incredible nation out of their midst. God gets all the glory in the process. That's why he wants the surrendered praise. He does have to demand it of us, you guys, because we lose sight of reality. We get convinced if we're not concentrated on it, not thinking about it, not purposing these things in our hearts, we get convinced like, ah, this was going to happen to me anyway. It was all going to turn out good in the end. No, not if we followed your course. Not, not if we went according to our own plan. Not if we followed the nation of Israel's natural behavior. These guys were, they were criminal in their behavior. And God was gracious with them. He did not choose the nation of Israel because they were just so brilliant, so wonderful. Let's take those guys. Let's, let's use them. Look at them. They just they shine you know, beyond anybody else. They're just so magnificent. No, they, they are so weak, so feeble, so in need that everyone should look at it and be astounded with their existence and their victories and their accomplishments. I'm some kind of discouraged when even Christians start talking about Jewish history, you know, you talk about the Six-Day War, you talk about different events, even in modern history, and people act like, oh, that Israeli army. You know, they are so clever. They just really, their military prowess is so admirable. They just, oh, you don't want to mess with the Israelis. No, you don't want to mess with their God. Right? I mean, when, when a single tank chases an entire division of tanks back across the Egyptian border. That is not because one tank operator is so good at his job that nobody could possibly stand. If they had realized what they were dealing with, God allowed delusion to come upon the invading forces. God confused, and how many times do we read in the Old Testament, right? God confounded their enemies. You know, so that they start fighting amongst themselves and now they're killing one another. Israel doesn't have to do hardly anything other than just go through and mop up. God is supposed to get the glory. You know, people are very concerned right now. We're going to talk about it a little bit on New Year's Eve about the way the world is abandoning, in particular America, is abandoning Israel right now. Oh, it's sketchy. It's enough to make you nervous. But at the same time, praise God. Because in the end, the scripture says all the nations will abandon them. And then the world will see that it is God who is protecting them. And they as a people will see that it is God who is protecting them. Yes, I think it's disgraceful that America is turning its back presently and doing the things that it is 
or even just through neglect, leaving the nation of Israel the way it is. But we have to go through these things to get to the fulfillment of God's word. Exactly what he said was going to transpire. These people are going to come into their promises, and God is saying to them, I want you to reciprocate and respond to the fulfillment of the things that I have done. You saw the terror, you saw everything that I brought you through, and now I'm fulfilling these things. Behold, I have brought <clears throat> the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given to me. I want you to give that back to me. Verse 10. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. Now, there is a tremendous amount of New Testament application here. <clears throat> it's very important that you understand that Jesus Christ fulfilled all the requirements of the Old Testament, and we do not, we do not live under an Old Testament law or mandate that says we must give one-tenth of our income to the Lord. Now, with that, you know, in this offering, the first fruits of what the Lord is talking about, the Lord promises in the book of Malachi that if we will give to him, that he will open the windows of heaven and he will pour out upon us such as we cannot contain. The concept that you can't outgive God, okay? If you will cooperate with him, he's going to bless you in return. Now, now with that, again, we're not under the law. It's not a mandate. You don't have to. But I want to correct a couple of concepts. First of which is some of us can't tithe. I mean, fixed income, you know, if you as a family are making ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars, there's just no way you can take one tenth of that and and give it to the church. Uh, the other hand, you know, I like the way Joe Foch says it. He's, you know, there in Philadelphia and there are literally people that come to their church that are millionaires. And Joe says, look, if you're making two hundred million dollars a year, we don't want ten percent. We want half. Because if you can't live on a hundred million dollars, then you've got a very serious spiritual problem. You know, and he says that jokingly and reassures them that that's not his real intention. But you understand the concept, right? Of percentage, but you can still give to the Lord. Regardless of whether we're talking about finances or not, giving of time, giving of commitment. Right, Go back to what we were saying. Right, the, the prophet told us to remember the rock from which we were hewn. To remember the mire from which we were dug. It was a miserable life without Christ. And he's delivered us from those things. So it needs to be that we have it in our heart that there is giving of gratitude. That, that we are responding in a way that tangibly, tangibly benefits God. He's blessed by our worship, our words, our witness. But there's also that which is physical, which the Lord asks of us. Giving and service, the Lord wants us to. Now, with that, 
one of the verses that's very often used is Paul saying to the church that each man should give as he had purposed in his own heart. And then, you know, it's preached. So, you know, you just give however you want to. Well, well, keep this in mind, okay? When Malachi tells us that we should bring in the whole tithe, one-tenth of our gross income to the Lord, and the windows of heaven would be opened and poured out upon us such as we could not contain. Again, not a New Testament commandment, but the promise from the Old Testament is still in effect. Giving as we had intended in our own heart That has nothing to do with tithing, just in case you had ever been confused by that, right? What is going on is the church at Jerusalem has two problems. They thought the Lord was coming back right then, which the Lord is coming back right now, in case you were wondering. That's how we need to live, as as though the Lord is coming back. But they were so convinced it was going to happen right then that you read in the book of Acts, they sold everything they had and they started living together. Because their concept was, why do we even want to own land? Why do we even, I mean, it's going to be five minutes and Jesus is going to be back, so let's just hang out and sing songs and study, study the Bible until he shows up. Well, a whole bunch of people around them were like, so wait a minute. If, if you become a Christian, you get to quit your job and get free housing and free food? And so a whole bunch of people joined Christianity. And the resources that the church had were depleted very rapidly. At the same time, Rome and the Jews began to persecute the Christians in a way that's unspeakable. I mean, if you suddenly announced in that Jewish community that you were a Christian, your business was bankrupt the next day. No one's going to do business with you. Every debtor that you had showed up on your doorstep, said, heard you were a Christian. Yes, I am. Then you need to pay me in full everything that you owe right now. The economy in Christianity collapsed. And those people, especially in Jerusalem, were suddenly impoverished and in tremendous need. Paul, traveling around amongst the Gentile churches as he was, began to take up collections from the churches and compile them together to take them back to give to the body of Christ in Jerusalem. So when he gives the command, he's saying to the churches, you guys need to be supporting your local church with your regular tithes and offerings, but I need you to also be taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. So All of you should be giving whatever you had purposed in your own hearts for the collection for the people in Jerusalem. There's two separate things we're talking about. You shouldn't confuse, as a New Testament Christian, the concept of each one giving, as we had intended in our own hearts, with the biblical concept of tithing. If you don't want to tithe, you're under grace, not the law, you're not commanded, you don't have to. That's not what I'm teaching. But don't confuse the concept of what we would say are you know, tithes and then offerings, because Paul's only referring to the offerings above and beyond the tithes that he says give whatever you purpose and intend to. I think what's happening with a lot of people 
is they're missing out completely on the blessing. God has given us everything that we have. And I have learned, and most Christians will tell you the same thing, that God can do much more in my life with 90% that I keep for myself than I can do on my own without God with 100%. That my surrendering to him, 10%, and here, here's the thing. This is what he's saying right here. 100% of it belongs to him, right? What do these people have without the Lord in their lives? Slavery. No freedom, no prosperity, zero. They have nothing in the process. Everything I have is because Christ has freed me from the world, freed me from sin, and blessed my life. And so I cooperate with him, and he profoundly blesses me in return. So consider what the Lord is encouraging this nation with here at the moment. Verse 12. Forgive me for this congestion. Verse 12, when you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, I have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled. Now listen, I just got to tell you beforehand that this is a debated section of verses. There are scholars that say there is the regular tithes and offerings that go on. And then every third year, the Lord wants an additional 10%. Uh, that's, that's difficult to prove either side of that. Okay, It's difficult to say, no, it only means the 10% and you gather that in. And then on the third year, you give that. It's also difficult to prove out the concept of give 10% continuously and then on every third year give an additional 10%. I'm going to just stick with this concept, that the Lord wants them to purposely be tithing to them and that they need to be very organized about how they're doing it. And the reason that he wants this tithe, the purpose and the uses that he wants is one, he wants their spiritual leadership taken care of. The Levites are to be fed and employed out of this amount, keeping in mind that really it's a subsidy because the Levites have to also work to gain, they have to farm their own lands and they have to gain their own profits in it. Uh, but they are—they don't have land like the other people, right? They, they live in homes in all of the tribes of Israel that are provided for them. And then they have a common, basically a common farm, a common area where all of the Levites together work one plot of land. So all of these families and individuals have their own lands and they're able to profit from them. The Levites, they have the collective land and then they have basically this subsidized income. So he's, he's never giving you know, the spiritual leaders, the opportunity to, yeah, just, just be lazy and mooch off the people. So must be workers, must be people that work here. You're going to take care of the Levites, the strangers, the fatherless, and the widow. So <clears throat> that's one of the reasons that it might be possible that he's talking about every third year, there needs to be an additional tithe. 
because it may be I want you to tithe regularly, and then every third year we need to consider the Levites and the strangers and the fatherless and, and the widows in your midst that are in need. And so that's that's possible. But again, back to the concept of honoring the Lord out of their income in an organized way, and these are the people that should benefit from it, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment, which you have commanded me. <coughs> Excuse me. One moment. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning. I didn't allow the depth of my emotional distress at any time to cause me to neglect my relationship with you and my commitment to you. And I think we can all understand that. You've got a certain determination in your life, and then you meet challenge and difficulty, and your sinking spirit causes you to compromise on your commitments. Uh, and, and here, very specifically, the Lord is saying, you need to keep it in mind that that's going to be a challenge for you. You're going to reach those moments and want to compromise. You have not transgressed these things because you were in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use. Uh, well, I just really, you know, that boat was, you know, I just knew I was never going to get a deal like that again. And so I went ahead and, you know, the things that don't pertain to the Lord. Not that it's necessarily sinful, but you've made a commitment. Holiness, right? That's a thing I need to clarify again for us all. Sometimes people think of holiness as like so elevated, so lofty, so arrogant, so above everything else. It means singular of purpose. Okay. And it does mean singular of purpose unto the Lord. But, um, you know, think of it this way your toothbrush is holy. Okay. It should never be used. It should definitely never be used to clean the toilet, right? That's plain, simple, like that's unclean, right? It should also never be used to clean the dishes, right? Well, you might you might even eat off that plate, but you don't use your toothbrush to clean that plate. It has a singular purpose: brushing your teeth, right? It doesn't even brush your hair, right? It has a singular purpose. When we're talking about the Lord, that which is holy, it belongs to him and it has a singular purpose. So when he says unclean, it's not the concept of you went and used the tithe that you had intended for me for something that was so sinful and diabolical. No, it's just not holy. You took it from what it was supposed to be used for, my purposes, which I've designed and laid out for you here, and you used it on something else. It's an unclean thing. It was supposed to be for me. So I haven't neglected it in any of these regards. <clears throat> There's a great encouragement in this. I haven't an unclean use nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all 
that you have commanded me. Giving for the dead was um, uh, a practice of the pagans. And, um, you know, you may have seen in movies different depictions and they, they put the coins on the eyes of the individual who has passed away and that's supposed to pay the ferryman, you know, who's going to transport them from the land of the living across the river Styx to the, you know, the land of the dead or other practices of, you know, well, hey, you know, you, you did well in this life, but you're headed to the afterlife and you're going to need some money when you get there. You know, living is not cheap. So we'll just put this in your coffin with you, you know, or, or, or you were very, very sinful and you're probably headed to hell. And so what I'm going to do is just pay this huge sum of money in. So you get out of purgatory early. Right. These were the practices amongst the people. You know, the Lord is saying that basically he's saying, one, it's pagan Two, the dead have no use of money. So, so let's use it in the land of the living on the needful purposes. You know, worship, number one, the Levites, those that lead the nation in worshiping God. And then those who are in need, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow amongst you. You haven't <coughs> transgressed and done these things according to all that the Lord commanded you. Verse 15, look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us, just as you swore to your fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I, I mean it. I know that our lives are extremely blessed by the Lord, uh, you know, Again, right, we do that relative concept. We, we see people around us, and this is a strange community, right? Because there are incredibly impoverished people in our community. And then some of the wealthiest people in the world retire here also. And you'll run into them and you'll see them, you know, in their yacht, in their plane, in their, you know, chauffeured vehicle. You know, and we look at them and go, we are so impoverished. L look at the wealth right there. Well, I say again to us, forgive me for my repetition, right? But if you've ever had spare change in your life ever, then you are in the top 10% of the wealthy people of the world. That's how impoverished most of the rest of the world is, you know, most of us have never even worried about ever being hungry. It's never been even a concept for us. You know, most of the time we're really bugged because we have the same limited menu that we always have. It's just so annoying that there aren't any good restaurants in town. You know. Family of four in Vietnam consuming two cups of rice a day and four ounces of protein. Family of four. We live so far away from poverty, it's crazy. So, you know, when the Lord is talking about the land and abundance and flowing with milk and honey, let's just be clear, we're all in that category of great abundance. Some of us are in a place that's more challenging than others. Some of us need the help of the church. I'm not trying to say that. This isn't some, 
you know, beat you over the brow and get the money out of you concept. This is the Lord's precepts here of saying, if you'll, again, he just said it, if you'll cooperate, then I'll bless from heaven. If you'll, if you'll take the death grip off, you know, the paycheck and loosen it up enough to trust me, I'm going to bless you in such a way that you can't imagine. The Lord is going to accomplish these things. I, I, I do also want to, you know, say, keep in mind, right? I, I don't orchestrate when we land on these passages. Where we left off last week is where we pick up this week. And where I leave off this week is where we'll pick up next week. We just move through the scripture. And, and in the process, uh, the Lord teaches us concepts that we need to hear. So in verse 16, this day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore, you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments and his judgments and that you will obey his voice. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed to you to be his special people. You are God's special people, as he has promised you that you should keep all his commandments, and that he will set you high above all nations, which he has made in praise and name and honor, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. The Lord takes care of us. And if we will recognize he loves us and he cares for us, and if we cooperate with him in that and trust, he pours out the blessing in such a way that we can't contain it. You're going to learn, if you haven't already learned it, you're going to learn over time that trusting the Lord in all things produces a fruitfulness in your life that you just can't imagine. You're no more going to have one blessing in your hand and be using it and consuming it and giving it away, and there's the next blessing. You know, And it's not always going to be money and prosperity in the way that so many false teachers teach. It's his sustenance. I often rob myself of blessings by using them as illustrations and examples. So forgive me, I'll close with this example. <clears throat> so I, a friend blessed me with a really great deal on a, uh, a 2007, you know, an old pickup truck. And I've just done my best to take care of it. Well, uh, one of the things that was a problem is as soon as I got the truck, <clears throat> couldn't keep air in the tires. Just always that slow leak. And so, you know, like thinking, well, you know, must have picked up a couple of nails, got a hole. So take them like, no, no, it's leaking around the rim. So, okay, we got to fix that. So I pay the money to have the rims, you know, tires taken off and, and they, they're, you know, 2007 factory aluminum rims and the salt has wrecked them. And so they grind them all down and they do what they do and they seal them all up, put the tires back on and they're like, there, you're all set. And, you know, the next morning the tire is slack. And, you know, so I basically wasted all my money. And so, yeah, I'm thinking, well, it's the valve stems. 
you know, it's not, it's not the tire seal, it's the valve stems. And so we go in and we just say, you know what, just replace them. Just to, so you got to take the tires off and do the whole thing. And guess what? The next morning they're leaking. So then I'm like, okay, like I need to get new rims. Like, you know, that's a bigger cost than what I wanted to get, but you know, so be it. And I'm like, so not into vehicle maintenance that I I'm clueless when it comes to stuff at times. So I go in like, you know, Hey, I need to get an inexpensive set of rims. Well, <clears throat> my concept of inexpensive is very different than retail sales concept of inexpensive. And so, you know, they they start right out at like, so $185 a rim, you know, $200 or $225 a rim. And I'm thinking like, no, I wanted the inexpensive ones. And, you know, I quickly find out that I'm just a doofus and don't know what I'm talking about because that is inexpensive. And you can't find these things anywhere, not at junkyards, not, you know, and the dealerships want ridiculous. So then I'm like, okay, so now I'm just like foolish thinking that I was going to pay, you know, 50 bucks a rim or something. That was, you know, 40 years ago. So just perchance I stop into a place in town and uh you know it's a high performance shop but i'm i'm dumb enough to just ask everybody so i say to the guy hey you know inexpensive rims and he gives me the same spiel and uh but he says you know what i'll look online and i'll look in a couple different places and uh, i'll take your phone number i'll call you so he takes my phone number and he calls me back like an hour later and says i don't know what i was thinking when you were in here, I've got a set of rims in here that I took off another truck. This well-to-do rich kid came in here with these rims that were like a month old. There's like a thousand miles on the rims. And he, you know, needed to spruce his truck up. So he bought the like $600 rims and massive tires for his mud buggy or whatever he's got going on. But you know, he traded his rims in. So I go down and look at these things, and I've already looked at these online, and they're like a $280 per rim. And so then I'm trying to, like, back out the door with, like, thanks for letting me look at them, but, you know, I can't afford it. He's like, yeah, so, you know, anyway, with everything that I got, I'll have to have 100 bucks a rim. And I'm like, yeah, so I'll buy those right now. I'm not going to find anything cheaper. So I pay for the rims, so now I'm wanting to share the Lord with this guy, right? So I start on that angle, and he just basically shuts me down by saying, yeah, no need for that. I'm a believer. In fact, that's why I called you, was because the Lord told me to bless you. So then we talk about the Lord. This dude's a deacon in his church. Like, he's not just, like, labeled Christian. He's living out his faith. We talk about the Lord. He's doing all kinds of stuff. He's engaged in this and that. And we talk, and then in the end, well, I'll let the cat out of the bag. I say, well, yeah, you know, look at this guy, Tom Sawyer. He's been hanging out with Tom Sawyer. That's my cousin. Tom's in right there. You know. And here, let me just give you these lug nuts at cost. And let me just give you this, you know, tire sensor that you need at cost. And just... When Malachi says to us that if we'll cooperate with the Lord, one of the things he says is, I will rebuke the devourer. 
You know what it's like to have the devourer hit your paycheck? Of course you do, right? You're like, yay, payday. Whoosh, nothing. <laughs> the devourer just consumes your paycheck. The Lord says that it, when we cooperate with him, he will rebuke the devourer. Very often, the great abundance that I have experienced in my life is the Lord making it easier for me to have the things I need. It isn't that I have a pile of cash. It's that the Lord is orchestrating circumstances so I can see his hand, right? So that I can see his hand all the time. The psalmist said, do not make me so rich, I'm paraphrasing, do not make me so rich that I have no need of you and I forget you. Do not make me so poor that I steal and offend you. Keep me right in the place where I have what I need and I'm constantly in touch with you. The apostles were all worried about it, right? What are we've given up homes and family and shelter and all this stuff? And Jesus said to them, what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. We are the people of abundance and milk and honey. Let us cooperate with him, with his provision. Amen? Amen. All right. So that's Deuteronomy 26. We'll pick up with 27 next week. Please stay and share a meal with us. We have... Huge spaghetti dinner and a whole bunch of other stuff. And if you're thinking, I didn't bring anything good because we got you covered. And we just, we want, really want to feed you more food than you can handle. So let's stand and we'll pray. And if you can, please stay in fellowship with us. And if you're watching online, you're missing out. So, <clears throat> Father God, uh, we thank you for the way you take care of us. And pray that you would. Bless our day, bless our lives, help us to cooperate with you, that we would see your fulfillment in all that we do and all that we have. We surrender to you, and we pray that your will would be done, your kingdom would come in our lives and our circumstances, through us and the world around us. Help us that we would trust you, cooperate with you in all things. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.